Welcome to the Sonic Truth Podcast. So welcome to this episode of the Sonic Truth uh, here live from Advertising Week in New York. I'm sitting here with John Scrapper Snyder from Storefront Music. Um, it'll be a really interesting conversation today just in getting to know, getting to know John and, and for everyone listening to meet John. Just this awesome journey from a jazz trumpet player to uh, someone who started a firm that's basically composing music for all kinds of stuff and doing it in a way that's um, somewhat old school, but also adapting to the way the world works today. Um, this should be a really fun conversation. So welcome. Welcome, John. Thanks, Scott. Glad, right. you, glad to be here. Awesome. So, John, tell us, I, I'm not going to do it justice. So tell us, you know, who, who you are and, and how you got here, if you can. <laughs> the myths behind the yeah. legend. Yeah. Please okay. do. Well, yeah, I moved here in the early 90s, uh, you know, with the dream of being a jazz trumpet player full time. I was going to tour the world. And that somewhat happened. I mean, I spent the 90s playing four to five nights a week in almost every kind of music from salsa music and jazz, uh, subbed with the Saturday Night Live band, the Blues Brothers, like all sorts of, you know, pretty much almost every kind of music that required, you know, trumpets. <laughs> so, so I was able to pick up a lot of that. And, and in the late 90s, um, I had a friend who asked me to write some music for some Amtrak commercials. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I really dug it. So, you know, along with that, I was doing studio work and meeting people who were in the business. And eventually I landed a staff job at a, at a large company for about 10 years. And seven years ago, my partner, Adam, and I, Adam Elk, and I broke out and started Storefront Music to do it our way, which has been a really exciting journey. So what was that time like when you were still gigging out, you probably had street cred as a, as a jazz musician, and then you're also writing music for advertising or other things. In, in that time period where both of those things were, were still probably happening and, and it was probably new, was that, a, was that a hard transition? It's probably hard to think back on that now, but like, was that, was that something where like, oh my God, he's, he's selling out or, or? No, because I mean, I still play a lot. I still tour in Europe and I have a new record coming out. So I, I need to keep that balance in my life. It's, it's very good for my work too. Because I think uh, Adam and I are both band guys, and we have we bring a a band and team aesthetic to the way we approach music for brands. Um, both from a sound profile, we hate fake sounding stuff. We only, I mean, it, we're, if we're working on a Afrobeat track or a big band track, I mean, we're doing it up for real, and and we bring that same aesthetic when we're working up with some of our composers if they're writing hip hop or something. So. We just hate fa fake sounding stuff. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so nothing. So you never really lost that. It just never went away. You just it, no, one feeds the other. I, I think um, in many instances, um, keeping those sides of yourself alive are really, really important for the music that you're creating for brands. I really, yeah. I don't know. I I feel, you know, it's been it's been a real, you know, balance for me to keep that alive. Right. So. It seems obvious that like gigging out and playing and doing a lot of performing and composing in, in your in your in jazz would feed into the organic nature by which you approach writing for advertising does it ever go the other way and what is that like um does, 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 does that inform inform your new record like it's stuff you've worked well out? it's does funny it? because you know when you're when you're writing for brands um you know in in particular i don't write that much jazz music i mean when we do i mean you know it's it's fun we write some big band music for american express for like tina fey or something but I mean, I'm always trying to find those things that make pop music or hip hop music super palatable. And a lot and a lot of those things are 
simpler melodies. And I have informed some of my music just using the disciplines I've, I've learned inside the commercial music production arena. And in a way, I mean, it's very sort of, you know, you know, my favorite musicians like Miles Davis will play literally the simplest, most unique thing, which is what brands are generally looking for. Like, what can we have that's unique, that's also accessible? So sometimes that really has informed my music. I'm not just trying to play, you know, bebop 16th notes over every chord change that comes along, you know? Right. So, yeah, I feel like it's been a good give and take. Cool. No, and it's it's interesting to see that. And I, and I I think when we when we look at Storefront, right, it's, it's very different in its nature, right? It's, it's, it's got something organic about it. What, what would you say to a brand if, if, if I were, whatever, the CMO of a brand and I met you and I was like, what do you, what do, you do that's different? What would, you, what would you say to me? Well, I mean, I'd say that basically, you know, we like to super collaborate on a band level. We like to, and this has almost come full circle because nobody, because of technology, gets together anymore in the studio right. and discusses what the emotional takeaway or the target audiences of a specific brand, you know, what, what do they want to get out of this commercial and everything's broken down through so many thousands of emails and everything. And I I guess our approach is to really is to do that in a very personal way and distill that down to things that we can codify in a, in a musical way, you know? And, um, and we're sort of a hybrid company in that we do, writing um both at the company but we have sort of strategic freelancers placed across the united states for for example my buddy Vinny is one of the premier writers for empire and power he's just an amazing hip-hop writer and he's always working on that but for brands he writes for us and it's and uh and when his tracks come in they're just kind of unbeatable they just (laughs) explode as speakers right so it's really that mentality translates to whether you're writing it yourself or it's through one of your freelance composers, you're able to bring that kind of personal, organic, tangible approach to the, to the equation. And if something fits, if, if it's not coming from you or Adam, um, it's from some other composer on staff or, or freelance, you're bringing that mentality to the table every time. Yeah, I just think, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, who are you comfortable working with? And uh, we present ourselves as, you know, I don't want to sound conceited, but we're sort of legit you know record guys and touring guys and and it there's there's a few barriers that are broken down on the levels of production when you're coming to me and i'm distilling in this in a way that is super understandable for my writers you know and i just i think that's that's our basic model right Right. how many spots do you think you've written since 1990 or whatever oh do you you even know I kind of have an idea how many spots I've had on the air, but I think it's probably about 500. Right. So I mean, all sorts. I mean, there's so much branded content now that's fun to write for that's longer form instead of 30 seconds. But yeah, there's, I mean, you know, my first commercials were, you know, for Amtrak. And then uh, one of my first big arrangements was like, I love that chicken at Popeye's. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's been just, you know, I love my job. I right. really, really, really do. I mean, it's, it presents new challenges every day. I mean, whether it's, hey, we want you to write a Broadway musical arrangement or, you know, they want something that sounds like Megadeth. So, like, right. you know, that's all fun for me. Right, right. No, it never gets boring. And I think, yeah. like, you know, for those of you, you know, who don't know John, I mean, I've seen John sit down at the piano as a trumpet player. And I'm like, 
that guy can do, <laughs> he can do anything. And I think like, you know, that, that's one thing that, you know, backing that up with chops, it's one thing to have the mentality of we're going to provide this great experience and bring this band mentality to the table. But if, if, if you're not an amazing musician and, and can back that up with all the other things, then that, that might fall short. Um, do you find that when you're working on a spot that like you don't have those limitations, you can, you also probably have a network of people that you've performed with over the years. If you need an amazing drummer, like in New York city tomorrow, you probably know somebody. So like, you know, does, does that kind of that, that you hit the nail help? on the head on one of the most fun things about my job is, is calling great musicians <laughs> and employing great musicians. You know, the studio scene has been wrecked by synthesis, right. you know? And, uh, and so, you know, we just, I, if, if a track requires live drums, I never fake the drums. You know, I'm calling, Sean Pelton from the Saturday Night Live band or somebody like that. And I was like, let's do this and make right. it really special. Um, How do you pull that? Because it's one of those things that just like as as a recovering composer myself, right? <laughs> it's drums in particular. Just for this, It's probably the easiest instrument, I would argue, to like to fake. Right. Like, you know, it's it's not it's one of those things that you can program and, and kind of get away with it in a lot of ways. What stops you? You know, like, do you how do you have that discipline when it's like. I, I can do this better. There's a bar that we have that's higher. You know, what what kind of drives you to make that call every day? And do do your clients really value that? I think they do. I mean, I think our our best clients know what we do. And um, I think when you program stuff, I mean, unless it's a pop thing, if we're talking about you know specific styles, like you're doing an alt rock thing. You know, there is, you know, in this digital age, there is beauty in and imperfection, things not being perfectly on right. a beat and mics bleeding into other mics and all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, the, we work so quickly, but the drums are always set up, you know? Right, right. And so, and it's New York. You can get somebody at the drop of a hat to come over and lay down some sick drum tracks. Right. So, oh, that's awesome. And yeah. so, so what's a, do you have a story just, just to share that like, what's like a, a really fantastic example of that like you're working on a spot and all of a sudden next thing you know you've got you know a whole bunch of people working on it or you've got like you know uh you know a 12 piece band or something like is there something that like where there's been a great example that you could share where it's like this is something that could only happen at storefront in new york oh i don't know <laughs> <laughs> that sounds scary well i mean you, you have to be ready to in terms of you always have to be ready to change and ready to adapt and uh, this buddy of mine, Rich Mateen, who I studied writing with a little bit in the early 90s, um, mentioned to me, as I was getting into the business, only do this if you enjoy the process. Mm. Because you need to believe in what you're writing. And if somebody wants to change it or go in another direction, you can't have hurt feelings. And as another creative director told me once, never give up. So and as now being a business owner, I take that super to heart. So you know, there's been times I've been in the studio. Well, for example, when we were working on uh, this uh, Crown Royal Apple campaign with JB Smoove, and uh, I had a 12-piece funk band in the studio, and you know, basically everything was kind of approved. And then JB got on Skype from LA, and he had some really cool ideas about what to do with the chart on the spot. So I was like, okay, everybody, get out their pencils. We're gonna. All the horn parts in bars one through nine, this is what they're going to be now, you know? And it's like, I had six horns in the room and probably four or five rhythm guys. It was like a humongous session. And we were just changing it on the fly. And instead of having hurt feelings and getting pissed off, I was like, well, let's give him what he wants. 
It ended up being really fun and actually a little more powerful. He just wanted this stuff to smack you in the face as soon as this <laughs> track started. All right. He's a blast. So, All right. Now, that's yeah. a great, great story. And I think like just like to, to get to the, the hard part about it, right? When it's the maybe the person who's not J.B. Smoove, who you, I would just take his <laughs> take his advice at any time. When it's somebody like you, you get maybe on on the brand side who's not very musical, maybe doesn't appreciate the value of sound, you know, kind of like every every industry has its enemies, right? So you get that yeah. person who's like just throwing in stock audio, throwing in you know the, the lower cost alternatives, it's basically commoditizing this or or kind of devaluing it. Yeah, how do you manage that? You know, you know, is is it something where where you're you've been doing this long enough where you're just like you take it take it in stride and you know what's I think the consumer notices uh, today the difference uh, because it's it, there's so much content out there. It's hard to, it's hard not to. Why should you pay us? Why should you pay us? You know, we say friends don't let friends use stock music. <laughs> but, uh, right. but I mean, in a funny way, it's like, what are we going to bring to the table to make this process and your product better? You right. know, your, you know, wh- how is this going to work better? And I think, you know, Part of that, like I said from the beginning, is just getting young producers into the studio is one of those things that I've, I've brought up at AMP meetings and other things. That's the Association of Music Producers. It's like because of Napster and all these things that happened over the years, there's, a, there's now two generations of people who don't really assign a, a value to music, you know? So how do I fight that? And I think the one way to fight that is, is to invite people to a session and see, them, see a great rhythm section player or right. like or an incredible singer or an incredible guitarist and then they like oh my gosh that's worth something to me you know what i mean right. and i can feel something i just i feel as though you know music that is composed directly for a product when tested um if done well always wins out right you know that is that we've, actually we've, done, yeah. we've gone down here no, sorry yeah. to interrupt you because that's that i want to that quote is quotable like mm-hmm. that, that's something that I hope our marketing team will pull out of this podcast because we literally have had thousands of conversations about personalization, hyper-targeting, serving the right ad to the right person, the right tailoring these things. You know, the internet has brought out this world of just hyper-personalization and targeting. Yeah. Yet people will put a generic piece of content behind an ad. Mm-hmm. With the iron- and that's why I had to stop you there. The irony is unbelievable, really, when you are custom creating this content to go with the product. To yeah. go with the brief, to go with it. And the idea that like we would we're okay with technology personalizing the heck out of everything in the spirit of scale, but to actually personalize music for an ad, you actually have to write it for the product. You have to mm-hmm. put the, put it behind the campaign. It's actually something that I, I that's I, I never really thought about it till now, like you know, until you just said it, which is really fascinating that people will are okay with technology and targeting, but oh we gotta See that? It was such a good point. The fire truck, the fire trucks are coming. Um, I called that in. Yeah, exactly. That was a good sound design. Yeah. Um, so like, I, that's an interesting thing. Did you get like so when you get a brief, um, you know, at, or do clients come in and do they hear the live music? Is that something that they can experience firsthand? Because I feel like if if I were working at a brand or working at an agency and I actually like saw this in action, if you were in that session with a twelve piece, you know, mm-hmm. you know, section rhythm section and, and horns. Um, that might change your opinion. I mean, does that happen? Do you guys ever play for, show up in an office and just play for somebody? <laughs> well, I mean, actually, that's somewhat how we've uh, built a rep, and we've taken a 
for example, we've taken, you know, I play at the Roxy almost every Wednesday at 8 p.m. You've been down there. It's sort of a funk jazz group. And we said, you know, okay, we got a screening down at the Richards group in Dallas. Screw it. We're going to bring this group down to Dallas and play for them a lunch concert, you know? And I think that is like a humongous icebreaker, you know? And, uh, you know, I've made some really good friends doing things like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny to get back to your point. You know, we wrote a bunch of songs for Citibank's like Progress Makers campaigns over the past couple of years, like the Malala a story about the Malala Fund and their partnership with that or Hurricane Sandra recovery in Ocean Bay. And part of that process was getting in there and instead of just scoring these spots, let's write some actual songs that go along with these. And they kind of they kind of like, you know, both on an aesthetic level and in a you know, what hits you in the heart and also data driven were just like kind of just like hammered home the point we were making about original music can be really magical for stuff. Right. You know, it's like, would you see Star Wars and plug in some stock music? <laughs> right. There's so many examples of that. It's such a powerful thing. I think people, it's what, I think people take it for granted. Um, and I think it, it's definitely, it's great to like talk about it. So last question for you. So where do you, where do you think this goes? What's, what's next for Storefront? Um, what does the future look like for you and, and where is it headed? Now? Well, I just think our industry is changing so much on a daily basis. Um, the music doesn't necessarily change that much. I mean, you, but I mean, you have to adapt to newer styles and all those kinds of things and always be seeking out you know, unique and, and fresh talent. But, um, you know, where we go, I would love to break in to more television work and I feel like there's a lot of opportunities out there to work with a lot of these smaller consultancies and brands where they've brought in-house advertising agencies in. And it's like, how do I balance that out with working with bigger agencies? I just think you need to be, you know, looking in so many different directions just beyond traditional advertising at this point. And, uh, you know, I keep working on my business acumen to try and keep up with my uh, jazz bebops. Good. Yeah, well, you got a new record coming out. So, so yeah. for, for those of you listening, where, where, first off, uh, let's start with where, where's the best way to, to find a storefront? A storefront? Probably easiest is storefrontmusic.net online. You can see a bunch of our work there and a little bit about us, maybe a couple projects. That's, that's always the easiest. And, uh, you know, all the contacts and contact info. Cool. So the other side of that, if you are in New York City, I just Plug Wednesday nights at the Rocky. Good food yeah. um, and fantastic music. I go whenever I can, so it's always fun. Uh, we had a few people from Baritonic come down, some employees. It was a good, uh, good night. Um, they were well behaved. Yeah, we, we, we behaved. were disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, we'll bring more employees next time. Uh, and so, but the, the coolest thing I, that I just saw um, this morning was talking about you got a record coming out. So, how do, how do we find that? And, and tell us just real quick that you have some great musicians on there too, Larry Goldings, others like. Um, you know, how do we find that? Yeah, that record's coming out in January. I'm getting my product actually next month because I'm I got some road gigs in Europe. I want to bring it there and kind of like have some gigs and stuff. But uh, it'll be out in January. It's on a label called Cellar Live. It's a really great jazz label out of Vancouver. Um, I'm really digging. Uh, we we just uh, signed. And I'm just really digging their whole vibe. It's uh, very excited about it. Well, the little samples coming out like a little before January. Anything we. Yeah. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Right, we'll for sure. That out. When we post this podcast, I'll we'll yeah. get a little uh, audio clip of you. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, John's been making awesome music for years. I'm fortunate enough to have heard it. Some, some people listening may have already. We'll definitely put a little uh, a track of yours up there uh, with, with some examples from Storefront as well so you can hear a little bit of oh, Awesome. Both. Thanks, man. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming today. And hopefully it's not too warm here in this glass. glass no, I'm glass. enjoying it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, John. Thanks for having me. All right. Great. This podcast was recorded live in a glass wall truck provided by BulldogBillboards.com. I met the team at Advertising Week in New York, and what was fascinating to me is that despite conversations throughout the week about the incredibly complex and very digital means of reaching consumers, that sometimes if you want immediate impact, the billboard truck can be the way to go. Bulldog billboards have trucks in multiple sizes, and there's quite literally no project too big or too small. So whether it's a glass wall truck that you want or an LED screen on the side of a truck that you're interested in, they can do it for you. So for more information, visit bulldogbillboards.com. And of course, thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to a podcast production of AW360, the year-round content destination from Advertising Week. Visit AW360 at 360.advertisingweek.com and be sure to check out the other AW360 podcasts now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Producers on this podcast are Jack Hirschman and Richard Larson, with music provided by Audio Network. For more information on Advertising Week, the world's largest gathering of advertising, marketing, and technology leaders, now in six markets across the globe, visit www.advertisingweek.com.